All right, so here we are, uh, Pentecost Sunday, we got red, we got banners, we got the old sort of Calvary Chapel dove, you know, that you can still see on the corner of Fairview and, uh, what is it, and Sunflower, so, you know, it's still something like, I think that might actually be the Maranatha dove, because see the, see, the difference is the Calvary Chapel dove actually connects on that one little part where it doesn't connect, there, probably, there was probably a lot of blood spilled over that uh, <laughs> trademark there, but... Anyway, um, so here, here we are on this, you know, sort of special, you know, Pentecost morning. And one of the things that's fascinating to me as somebody who's just been in and around the church for 30-some years is it is genuinely curious to me how it is that the Holy Spirit went from, in John, the upper room discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, how the Holy Spirit went from the most amazing covenanted presence to, in many cases, merely a controversy and something around which there's even cynicism and suspicion and can we really trust the Holy Spirit and if we really give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, if we really are baptized in the Spirit, do you know what the word baptized means? It, it, it simply means to be immersed in. So when Jesus said, for instance, in the Great Commission, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he didn't mean get them wet with a few sprinkles of water. Trust me, that's not what he had in mind. When Jesus said baptize them in, he meant immerse them in the triune reality. Immerse them in this reality of God that is all over the earth. I just happen right now to be reading Anne Rice's book, uh, you know, the famous novelist Anne Rice, uh, her kind of testimony called Out of Darkness, called Out of Darkness. And I was in Denver a couple weeks ago, and I'd forgotten to take a book, and I'm like an addict. I can't go to sleep if I don't have something to read at night. So I walked out of my hotel, and there happened to be a bookstore around the corner, and, and it was, just looked interesting, so I picked it up and been reading it for the last week or so. And, uh, and you know, Anne tells the story of just, you know, growing up Catholic, having a genuine childlike faith, walking away from it for 38 years, and then discovering once again that there is this reality in the earth. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit in immersing ourselves in the Holy Spirit, uh, or being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, what you really need to be thinking is how do I take my life, represented by my finger, and immerse it into this reality? That's what it means to be baptized. How do I surround and, and make meaning of my life through the person and work of the Holy Spirit? It's not something weird or odd. I heard the story this week of a, of a pastor and his wife who come from a very traditional, really Bible-oriented uh, tradition. They wanted to buy a dog, but they wanted to make sure that this dog fit their, you know, tradition. So when they went out to the puppy farm, you know, they said, you know, is this dog, I don't know, let's pick on Baptist. Is this dog a Baptist dog? And the, the host said, yes, this is a Baptist dog. Well, they got the dog home, they had a little dinner party, a few people over, and they were showing the dog off because they said, you know, Rover, get the Bible. The dog runs over and puts the Bible between his teeth and brings it over to his master. And the master says, Rover, find Psalm 23. So the dog, you know, gets his paw out and starts find Psalm. Well, they're amazed. So finally the dinner guests say, well, does the dog do any, like, any regular dog tricks? And the owner says, oh, yes, watch. And he goes, Rover, heal. And the dog jumped up on a chair, put his paw on his owner's head, and started howling, heel, heel. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that is actually not what we have in mind here. 
And uh, this morning when we come to uh, ministry time, I can promise you that no one's going to slap you on the forehead and uh, in a deep southern accent start howling heel. Um, so if we're, if, if we're not going to do that, and if, if what we're trying to do is be immersed in this reality, well, you know, what does this mean? And, and maybe a good way to get at this is to think about it first negatively. The Holy Spirit is a person. And one of the ways that Bible scholars and theologians have been made alert to this over the last 2,000 years is that the Holy Spirit is talked up in the New Testament in the way that he can be grieved. So you can't grieve an it. I'm, I'm not aware of any way in which I could grieve this candlestick. But you can be grieved. So the Holy Spirit is a person. And so the, the New Testament talks about that the, the Spirit then has the capacity to be grieved. Well, how can he be grieved? In two main ways over the history of the church. The first is excess. And most of us around here could, you know, cite some excess that we've known in our life where people just got crazy and it really wasn't the spirit, it was just human psychology or flesh or, um, you know, a group psychology or, you know, something went amiss. We all could name things like that that have happened. But the Holy Spirit is equally grieved by being ignored, by not being taken seriously, by not being interacted with, by not treasuring his presence, as Jesus said in John 14, that he is a continuing of presence of Jesus in the church. He's a person to whom we relate and converse. We follow his lead. We depend upon him. This is what Jesus meant when he said, this, when the Spirit comes, he's going to teach you all things. And he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. He'll guide you into all truth. Now, when Jesus said that, he was saying that to a bunch of Jews who had anticipated this coming for many generations. And this is why one of our readings this morning is the reading from Joel. And if you look at that, the main thing that, that I think we get out of Joel this morning is that God's promise is to pour out his spirit on all people. That is to say, on every kind of person. And diversity is really complex. It is much easier to say, I'm going to go to a black church where everybody's black, everybody's from my social economic background, and everybody grew up in this neighborhood. That's very easy. That kind of homogeneity is an easy thing to pull off. But when Joel says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, then that brings together a complexity of being in genuine fellowship with burping babies and people who are 100 years old. And men and women. And lower class and upper class. And Hispanics and Indians. And hopefully some black faces in here before too long. Before we all get arrested for being white or something. Uh, that kind of diversity is difficult to pull off, and most people don't want to do it, but we have no choice because the aim of the Spirit is to fall on everybody. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. No room for misogyny there. Your sons and your daughters, old men will dream dreams, young men will see vision. On my servants, now just stop there. Nobody would have expected God to relate to servants. Not the people out there slopping the donkeys. You know, the spirit would have come on the priestly class. 
But Joel says, no, God's spirit is going to fall on everybody in this great cacophony of complexity. Servants, men, women, old people, young people. That this is what God's been up to all along. That's what the psalm alerts us to this morning. That God's plan for the world stands up. And that all his designs to actually fill all these people is going to happen. So when the psalmist says, it's God we're depending on here. It's God whom we need. When the psalmist cries out, love us God with all you've got. Because that's what you're depending on. That's what's more in view with the sense of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, again, over my lifetime, you know, people have wondered, well, what's the sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit? And one of the classic signs is, you know, tongues. And then, but other people worry, well, I don't know what I think about tongues. And if, if that's the doorway into the life of the Spirit, then, you know, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, just to keep it real, uh, just a 30-second survey of the Bible here, here's the, deal, here's the real deal. Five times people or groups in the New Testament filled with the Holy Spirit. Two out of the five, they spoke in tongues. One out of the five... They spoke in tongues and prophesied. One out of the five was Paul and he got healed. And the fifth one, we don't know what happened, but something happened that the guy could see it because he wanted to buy the power to do it. Now that's the testimony of the New Testament. So you make of that what you want about what is supposed to be the sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you, if I had to bet every penny I have, here's what I'd bet on. A capacity to love. The people I know who are filled with the Spirit are people who are able to love in such a way that they can partner with God's complexity. They can actually love the least, the lost, the broken, the last, the left out, the black, the Hispanic, the Asian. They, they get, in a sense, truly colorblind, but not colorblind in a way that ignores somebody's culture. Colorblind in a way that it no longer becomes a way by which we make differentiation. It's a way where our first instinct is to make connection. It doesn't mean that I don't love and value Hispanic culture. I do. I don't know what I would do without tamales. I mean, are you with me here? I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't love and appreciate, you know, African culture or Cuban culture or whatever. It doesn't mean that we have to stop valuing people's cultures. It just means that what we first see is not so much the diversity, the discreteness, the category, the categorizations of people. What we first see is God's intention and his plan stand up, the psalmist says. He is going to make a great nation out of this so that every nation, every tribe, every ethnic background is in on the spirit. They're immersed in the reality of God and his love, his power and his provision. If you didn't walk out of here this morning with nothing else after we're done praying for you, but the sense that God was with you and you were with God in a different way, thus that you could express his person and his work in your life, I would be a very happy camper. Because I just know that for most of you, life is something like this. I, this is a true story of a farmer who was working, I can't remember where, so it doesn't matter, but um, maybe in Texas. It was a farmer, I think, in Texas who was honestly working his very hard to make his land produce crops. And it wouldn't. No matter what he tried, he just couldn't make any money out of it. And I don't remember the details, but at some point, somebody came along and said, well, do you know there's probably oil under your land? And so he drilled for oil and hit something that was producing hundreds of thousands of barrels a day. And of course, it completely changed his life. Well, that's what the New Testament, when you think of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Bible and as it unfolded from... Uh, 
you know, the Spirit helping people build the tabernacle or build the temple, up, up to Joel and him prophesying it coming, and then to John the Baptist saying, hey, when Jesus comes, he's going to fulfill that thing that all you Jews have been thinking about forever. And then in John 7, Jesus says, hey, you know, anybody who comes to me and drinks out of his living being is going to flow torrents of living water. And, Jesus said, and, the, and John says that Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit, but it hadn't been given yet because he had not yet ascended to the Father. Well, now here we are post-ascension. And Jesus says to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere out and try to minister until you've been clothed with on power from on high. So now do you see the similarity? Baptism, being immersed in. Clothed, being immersed in something. A new reality. That's what I want you to walk out of here with this morning. Not merely that we had read... <laughs> And, you know, we, we had sort of a special service and we sat antiphonally and we, we did some things that are symbolically to remind us of this, but that you tap into that reality that's always there. I know life's hard right now. For many of you, it's hard economically. Some of you have loved ones who are sick or even dying. And so you're working real hard to make life work. Well, underneath that is this reality that was always there. He just didn't know it till he tapped into it. He taps into it, and of course, it makes all the difference in his life. That's the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're asking for when we say, come Holy Spirit. When we sing, come Holy Spirit, we're asking that that story that the Bible's been telling would be manifest concretely to us, that we would be filled with the Spirit. Now, in the passage of Acts, it tells us that they spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's the second thing that I would want you to walk out of here with this morning. A sense of the enabling of the Spirit. His gifts to do whatever it is that he's called you and released you to do. When they said together, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. Translated, you know, that means we see happening before us the story of God coming true. Remember later on in the text in Acts 2, you've probably all read this a dozen times, when Peter's asked to give an explanation for what's happening, what does he say? This is what Joel talked about. It's precisely what he says. This is the coming true of God's story. It's finally happening to us. He's giving us his presence. He really is giving us the ongoing presence of Jesus. In our gospel reading, when it says that Jesus breathed on them, that's the Greek term pneuma. And pneuma means variously wind, breath, any kind of moving air. Like when you see the rustling, the gentle rustling of leaves on a tree, that's from the pneuma. That, that's the visible manifest of this invisible wind that you can't see. And so when, they, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, the first thing he gives them is peace. I was telling a friend the other day, I can't remember who it is, that one of my very favorite lines in our liturgy is that we might serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. I love it when we say, in peace we pray to you, Lord Christ. Not in anxiety. We don't pray in fear. We don't pray in worry. In peace we pray to you. So, the, so one of the foundational affects of the Holy Spirit, whether you speak in tongues or not, is you will know a peace and a love that allows you to, com co to connect to the, complex to the human complexity of life that you've never had before. And this is why Jesus said, after having received peace, that I'm sending you, just as the Father sent me. I'm sending you to be my ambassador, to be my cooperative friend. In the way that you've seen me forgive sins, I want you to forgive sins. And the, the Greek text here is a little difficult. 
Because um, it appears that Jesus was saying something like, and if you don't forgive sins, who's, what's going to happen to them? Do you see what he's saying? Like, I've been the one forgiving sins. I'm going away. I'm leaving you to forgive sins. And when he says, and if you don't forgive them, they remain, he's basically saying, look, you're my ambassadors. You're my cooperative friends. You're the one supposed to be bringing the healing, deliverance, the freedom of God to the earth. I've left you here to do that, filled with the Holy Spirit to do it. So then what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Well, the first thing to say is that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and anybody who's had this experience can tell you, it simply changes everything. Now, any of you who have elderly relatives who maybe grew up in the Midwest or something and have ever heard them tell the stories about when electricity came to their town, have any of you ever heard a story like that? I have, where people grew up in rural Missouri or something in farming countries and as children they didn't have electricity but at some point the electrical company brought power out to them and it literally changed everything they got rid of their ice box you know what I mean a box with ice in it and they got a refrigerator and they no longer had to beat rugs with a broom they could get a hoover and you know they didn't have to run clothes through a ringer anymore and hang them, they could get a, an electric dryer. And if you've ever, if you've not talked to somebody like that, it's fascinating to realize how very much it completely changed their life, the coming of electricity. Well, now there's an outlet on the wall right there. It's connected to some wires, I assume. And then I don't actually know where it goes from here. Does anybody know where these wires go? I mean, I'm sure they go underground somewhere, maybe to a bigger connection. And from there, they probably go to this very expensive electricity we have here in California. But I don't know what the, how that works. It's literally a mystery to me. But every Saturday afternoon, I come here and I set up the PA and I plug it in with a confidence. Not just a confidence. An utter, absolute, complete knowing that it's going to work. I just have to plug into that reality. That's what Jesus had in mind. It's here. I've given it to you. The Spirit of God has been released 2,000 years ago on Pentecost. Our, Our choice now is to respond to it, to plug into that reality. Well, what will it do? Well, the Bible says it equips us for ministry. Um... I think we have a, a, a picture of our Churches for the Sake of Others logo somewhere up here. I don't know if you've ever seen it on the website or whatever. You notice that it's red. It's this red cross. And the cross symbolizes, it's the, it's the cross that Christians have used for many, 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 many years that symbolizes the gospel going to the four corners of the earth. And you notice that I chose red. Why? The gospel going to the four corners of the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what that symbolizes. So next time you see that, to that logo for church for the sake of others. That's my way of saying that what we do, we do through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's he who gives us authority. It's he who gives us power. It's he, Paul said in Galatians 5, that produces fruit and character in us. It's he who gives us gifts. So then what is the result of trusting, having a trusting interaction with the Holy Spirit? Well, a couple of things is it builds up the body of Christ. And in our day today, there's probably no apologetic No explanation of the gospel that's more powerful than people seeing the manifest presence of the Spirit in someone's life in a way that it actually makes a difference in their life. There's probably no better bridge built to the gospel 
than that. So then last, so we're done. How, so how do we participate in this? What, what are we going to do here now as we turn to worship and ministry? How do you participate in the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing is faith and confidence. As I said, you just have to have the confidence that when you plug in, something's going to happen. So this is where faith comes in. Now, again, I know that, you know, there's been a lot of excesses in our generation about faith and the faith movements and all that. But I've said before, you will not find anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus said, Blessed are you, dear cynic, for your suspicion has healed you. I mean, you're just not going to find it. Or blessed are you, dear open-minded, but wondering for your wondering has healed you. It's just not there. What, what, What sort of connects us to God is faith. But of course, faith never controls God. It simply facilitates a connection with him. Remember when Jesus heard the centurion say, oh, Lord, you don't have to come heal my daughter. Just say the word and she'll be healed. Do you all remember that story? Remember what Jesus said to that centurion? I have never seen such faith in all of Judaism. And then you remember, in contrast, the times where Jesus would go to a city and he would walk away and the gospel writer would say, Jesus couldn't do much there. Do you remember why? Why couldn't he do much in Capernaum? Because of their lack of faith. So whatever you might think about faith and its excesses or whatever, there is no way of connecting with God in this highly participatory way that we have relating to God the Holy Spirit without faith. You just have to come with faith. It's not enough to just say, I'm open. You need to come this morning saying, I want to know Jesus better. I want his continuing presence in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the tools to live the Christian life. I want the power to be an ambassador of Jesus in his kingdom. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I have the confidence and faith that if I, Jesus said, ask for bread, he's not going to give me a stone. If in a few minutes you stand and say, come Holy Spirit, come into my life. Come give me this power. Come give me this authority, this new capacity, these gifts, this this new character so that I can be a part of your people on earth and be your ambassador. If you stand and ask that, if you lift your hands and say, come Holy Spirit on my life. If you ask Jesus for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. Jesus said, how much more if you ask your father for the spirit, will he not give it to you? That's the confidence you can have. God will keep his part of the bargain. Our part of the bargain is simple faith and invitation that our lives will be clothed with him, clothed with power from on high, filled with his spirit to be his cooperative friends. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we do pray now as we turn our hearts to you in songs of invitation, songs that express our desire to be filled with the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that you would hear our hearts, that you would grant our prayers. And as we do what you've said to do in the scripture, as we lay hands on one another and ask that we be filled with the Spirit, that you would do so in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.